Amen. Oh, you know, I love what Nicole said because it's a good reminder. As we, as we respond to God, God responds to us. And God was really, I think, just wanting to minister to us tonight as we worshiped him. Acts chapter 22 tonight. I've entitled this chapter Chosen, and I think you'll see why later on in the chapter. We ended chapter 21 where literally Paul is taking center stage in the city of Jerusalem where Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, was crucified. And he has an immense audience before him. And God is going to give him a great opportunity to be a witness for him. Remember we ended last week by quoting 1 Peter 3, 15. Set apart Jesus Christ as Lord and be always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's exactly what Paul's doing. Remember he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem and be bound and I'm ready to even give up my life and die for the name of my Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is now ready to open up his mouth and give a defense. So notice in the first five verses, we have circumstances before Paul's conversion that he's going to share with us. Then from verse 6 through about verse 16, he's going to share circumstances surrounding his conversion. And finally, in verse 17 and onwards into the chapter, he shares circumstances after his conversion. And in each of these sections, there's a message for us as well that we learn through the conversion of Paul. Notice he says in verse 1, Brothers and fathers, listen to my defense that I make to you. That word defense, again, is a very important word. It's the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter 3.15. Be always ready to give an answer, a defense. It speaks about a well-thought-out response explaining why one believes what one believes or why one holds a certain position or conviction. You see, it's not enough for us as Christians to know what we believe, but why we believe it. And that's why we have to develop our own convictions. You and I can't stand on the convictions of others. We must develop through our own walk with God and through our own walk with the Holy Spirit and through our own study of God's Word, our own convictions. They're ours. They're strong because we have come to those conclusions ourselves and we hold them. That's what Paul is doing. And that's why when you and I have that kind of answer or defense, it's not something that we need to necessarily, you know, write down and have notes and all of that. It's in here. It's, it's here. It's, it's a part of us. It's, it's why we are the person that we are, you see. And so that's why we can give an answer and give a defense at any point because hopefully we're living our convictions, you see. 
And that's what Paul is doing here with these folks. Now, he doesn't know how they're going to respond, but he's giving the opportunity to tell how God saved him. And each one of us, as Christians, we have a personal testimony, how God saved us, how we came to know the Lord. And it all starts when you understand even the word chosen with circumstances before our conversion. Notice what Paul says. First of all, he began to speak in Aramaic. Paul's no dummy. He knows that by using this language, he's going to start making a connection with his audience. It's important that we know our audience and how we can connect with them, if you will. And that's why they became even quieter. Literally, there was a hush. Can you imagine thousands of people in a square in Jerusalem and all of them have become quiet so that when Paul begins to speak, all of them can hear? He said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated with strictness under Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors, zealous for God as all of you are today. I persecuted this way, which again speaks about the distinctiveness of Jesus-shaped lives, even to the point of death, tying up both men and women, putting them in prison. As both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me, for from them I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I was on my way to make arrests there and bring the prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Sharing his life before he met the Lord. I want to share four things that we learned about the circumstances before Paul's conversion that would can relate to us as well. First of all, there is the pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. This book, Acts, is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us that God doesn't just come upon us at the moment we are saved and start trying to woo us and draw us to him and, and work in our lives. He starts way back. And it is a process that, that he's doing. He, he's trying to reveal himself to us. And the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives way before they become a Christian, just like he was in your life and my life. And that's another reason why we can be encouraged when we pray for those family members or friends or acquaintances or neighbors or whatever that are not saved yet. Listen, God is at work in their life, whether we see it or not. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is wooing these people and doing everything that he can except cross over that free will in their life. That's what he was doing in Paul. Second, such a radical transformation is proof of the power of the gospel. I mean, notice who Paul was. He was the chief persecutor of the church, and now he's becoming the chief witness, evangelist for the church. How can a human being explain such a radical transformation in a life. They can't. 
It is only through the power of the gospel that this man went from being public enemy number one to the maybe greatest Christian who ever lived. And guess what? That same power is still at work today. We have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. When you and I trust the power of the word of God in sharing the gospel, it can change people's lives just like it changed ours. When they hear that Christ died for their sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead three days later, that he appeared to so many after his resurrection, that he ascended back to heaven. I mean, there is power in the gospel message of of the Lord. And that's one of the things that we see with Paul's conversion as well. Third, his life before Christ proved purposeful after Christ. All the experiences, all the training, all the things that Paul learned before his conversion, much of that, if not most of that, came in handy after his conversion because God doesn't waste a thing. So here's how you and I need to look at our life as the chosen people of God. Don't look at all those years that you were without Christ as being purposeless and wasteful. God used many of those and continues to use many of your experiences, your circumstances, your knowledge, and all of that that was gained even before you came to know Christ, and he can use that after you come to Christ through your life, through your ministry, and through your service, you see. And that's exactly what God's doing with Paul. All of his training all of his understanding of languages and all of these things that he learned before he came to Christ, guess what? He's using it after he came to conversion as well to now reach people for Christ. God wants us to look at our life as is this sort of, you know, where as he moves us along by his hand, we're just accumulating and accumulating and accumulating so much that when we finally sell out to God, all of this that's been accumulated, that's, that's part of our tool belt as a Christian. That's part of what we then can tap into and go to in order to be an even greater servant of the Lord. And finally, the conversion of Paul also reminds us of this. No one is beyond the grace of God. I mean, if anybody would have been such a bad person that God couldn't save them, it would have been Saul. Saul was killing Christians. Saul was complicit in killing Christians. Saul, again, was public enemy number one of the church. And yet, in all that, God's grace was sufficient to save that man. God doesn't give up on you or me or anyone else. The blood of Jesus Christ can cover every sin and bring forgiveness to our life. So let's remember that as we think about the circumstances before Paul's conversion. But then when you get to verse 6, notice the circumstances surrounding conversion. 
He says, as I was en route and near Damascus, verse 6, about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I want you to look at the word suddenly in verse 6. Because it does remind us that the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior is a sudden moment in time. Absolutely. But going back and tying this into the pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit, our salvation, though it is instantaneous, it is also the culmination of much working that God does in our life and revelation that God does in our life. I mean, think about all the circumstances that, you know, Paul talks about how he was right there when Stephen was stoned. And that made an impact on him. We can only imagine the other times that the Lord was trying to get Paul's attention. So again, though salvation is instantaneous, when you and I accept Christ as our Savior, there is progression throughout our life bringing us to that point. And then after we become a Christian, the same thing is true. There is progressive revelation as God continues to reveal more of himself to you as we spiritually grow and mature. Also, notice again the great truth that believers are in Christ. Christ identifies himself with his people when he tells Saul, why are you persecuting me? In Jesus' mind, he and his people are one. So again, whatever touches us, touches and affects him. Remember that tonight. I may not know what you're going through or what you're dealing with, but Jesus does. Not only does he know, he's going through it with you because he totally identifies with his people. Salvation also is found in a person. Notice, I answered, who are you, Lord, and he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. What's Jesus doing? He's revealing himself to Paul. He's not saying, Paul, here's how you get saved. I'm going to give you a big rule book, and you follow all the rules. That's how you get saved. He doesn't say, oh, Paul, here's a body of water. Go get baptized. That's how you get saved. No. He doesn't say, hey, Paul, there's a church over here on the corner. Go join that church and be a member, and that's how you get saved. No. How does a person get saved? When Jesus reveals himself to us, and then we respond to it. That's how we get saved. Salvation is found in a person and in a personal relationship with that person. I love... Keep your finger in Acts 22. Go with me for just a moment to Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. I love what Paul says in the first chapter of Galatians. He's also recounting his conversion here. And I'm going to begin in verse 15. Paul says, because this ties in with Acts 22, when the one who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased, notice these next six words, to reveal his son in me. That's how Paul describes his salvation. Then, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Listen, that's not only how you and I get saved, 
That's how you and I serve our Christ, by letting him reveal more of himself to us and then we minister and serve out of the overflow of Jesus revealing more and more of himself to us. That's why it was so appropriate tonight, we're going to see this later in Acts 22, that we sang the song that Nicole chose, Open My Eyes, Lord. Let me see more of you. Open my ears. Let me hear more of you. Let me listen. Because as God reveals himself in us, it's internal. And that's why the externals don't matter to God. Because when God reveals himself in us, the externals will take care of themselves in time. We just need to be open in our heart to letting God reveal his son more and more into our lives. Back to Acts 22. Those who were with me, verse 9, saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. So I asked, what should I do? Best question always to ask God. God, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told about everything that you have been designated or designed to do. Now, I'm going to come back to this in just a moment, but what we are seeing is this. Circumstances surrounding Paul's conversion teaches us that God has a plan and purpose for each of us. And that each of us, even before we were born, was designed by God specifically to fulfill that plan and purpose. In fact, as you go down through here, Paul then recounts Ananias, verse 12, was brought to him by God to speak to him, to minister to him, and to sort of be the first Christian to bring him in to the fold, if you will. And I want you to know what Ananias says to Paul here in verse 14, because it is the main thing that I want to talk about for our time that we have left. The God of our ancestors. That's telling us that, again, we are simply a link in a chain, that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. He's being told here, listen, this God that's at work in you and has brought you to himself and revealed his son in you, he's the God of our ancestors. He's been, he's been working all along, and now you're just the next link in this very long chain that God is developing down through history. Here's what you need to know, Paul. The God of our ancestors has already chosen you. Whoa. I want to stop for a moment and talk about this word chosen. God's choices are always purposeful. And so what we are reminded of when we are reminded that Paul is chosen, is that all of us are chosen. Meaning this, before God ever creates any human being throughout history and brings them into the world, God has already designed them with a purpose and plan in mind. That, that's why... We've got to continually connect people with their God because so many people today suffer from a lack of identity. Who am I? Why was I born? 
Why was I here? Why am I here? I don't see any plan or purpose for me being here. Well, that all goes back to our relationship and to our... When we all understand that we have been chosen, that means that in God's mind, before we were ever born into this world, God had a design in mind for you and for me. And as he began to design us, what we look like physically, what we're like emotionally, our temperament, our gifts, our abilities, our talents, every detail of our life, folks, that's how much God loves us and how valued we are and how much of a worth we are to God that God took all this time to design us and then designed us in that way so that when he called us to himself, revealed his son in us like he did Paul, saved us, then we can begin to fulfill the plan and purpose that God had for us even before we were brought into this world. Chosen. Every time you think of the word chosen, I want you to think about that. It takes you and I all the way back to before we were born. And God chose us and designed us with a plan and purpose in mind. Now, in Paul's case, the very same things God chose him for here, God chose us for as well. So this isn't necessarily God's specific plan for Paul. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is God's general plan and purpose for Paul that is the same general plan and purpose for every person sitting here in this room and everyone watching tonight. What is that purpose? First, to know his will. The word know means to become thoroughly acquainted with and fully aware of God's will. So many Christians grow up and go through church and go through their Christian life thinking somehow that God hides his will. That, that like there's this game that God cruelly plays with his children, like he has this amazing will for them, but they have a really hard time finding it because God doesn't want to really share it. That is not biblical. It is God's purpose and plan that everyone that he chooses knows his will. He doesn't hide his will. He wants us to fully become acquainted and aware of his will. But here's the catch. You and I need to be focused on doing the will of God that we already know instead of being so interested in trying to figure out the will of God that we don't know yet. Because many times what I've seen in my own life and in other Christians' lives is they get so caught up trying to discover the will of God that he has yet to reveal to them that they are forsaking doing the things that he's already told them. The way you and I find greater understanding of God's will that we don't know yet is by focusing on doing the will of God that we already know, you see. Because God wants us to know his will, and guess what? He's given us a lot right here. There's a lot in here that would keep us busy for the rest of our lives. So God is saying to us, do what you already know. 
And if I want you to know something else, oh, you'll know it, because it's part of my plan and purpose that I want you to know my will. That's why I tell Christians, listen, you don't have to be worried about missing the will of God in your life. Because if God wants you to know something, he'll make it so obvious, you'll have to like step over it 12 times. Because he'll just keep bringing it up and, and bringing it before you and making it so obvious to you that you can't escape it. So know that. Be encouraged by that. That's part of his chosen, chosen uh, part of us is to know his will. Second, to see the righteous one. Now you're beginning to understand why Nicole chose the song she did tonight, right? To see the righteous one. That's part of God's plan and purpose for us. By the way, the word see means to not only perceive, but to discern clearly and to continually focus upon. Do we see Jesus? Obviously not in a physical way, but through the eyes of faith, do we perceive our Savior? Do we see him? And once we see him, do we lock in on him? Do we focus upon him? In fact, this word see in the original comes from the root to stare at. Literally, that's part of God's plan and purpose for all of us as his chosen is to lock eyes with Jesus and never take our eyes off of Jesus. <clears throat> to find him and to focus upon him and to just keep looking. Not what the author of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. To see him and to never take our eyes off and to be able to discern him, you see. And then the next part of God's purpose and plan. To hear a command from his mouth. Literally, to listen for and follow or move to the voice of God to discern God's voice, to know, oh, that's God speaking to me, but that's not it alone, just to recognize God's voice. Oh, that's you, God? Oh, okay, and then hang up. It's, oh, God, you're telling me something. Oh, you want me to do this. Okay, I move, I respond, I follow the voice of God. That's what Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, you see. And notice then, that all of this, this part of God's plan and purpose, to know his will, to see him, and to hear him, is all God calling us to be with him first before he ever sends us out to minister and to serve him. Because notice verse 15 follows verse 14. Then, after Paul knew his will somewhat and began to see the righteous one and began to hear the command from his mouth. Then he would be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. See, our ministry comes from our own personal experience of our own relationship, fellowship, and walk with God. It's out of the overflow. In Mark 3.14... Some of you, if you want to turn there, that's fine. But in Mark 3, 14, I, I, I love this. Jesus is calling his disciples. And in 3, 14 of the Gospel of Mark, it says he appointed 12, 
who we know, whom he named as apostles. And then notice the next phrase. It starts out with the word so, which means that's a purpose phrase. So that they would be with him. That's the first part. And he could send them to preach. So notice before they went out to preach, what's Jesus doing? Just, you got to be with me. Then you go to preach. So in other words, it's that principle of we minister and serve out of the overflow of our own walk and fellowship and relationship with God. God is always going to call us to himself first. That's the way his plan and purpose works. Then it's out of him calling us to himself that then he sends us out to go on his behalf and in his behalf. Because, listen, God wants to make sure that the people he's sending out there to be his witnesses are the people who truly know him. I mean, let me ask you, would you want somebody to represent you that hardly knew you? Would you want somebody to go on your behalf representing you, say, as your ambassador, and they don't know a thing about you? No. You would want somebody to represent you and to go for you or in your place that knew you and knew your heart and knew what you were all about. Not everything, but a lot. Well, God's the same way. He wants us to know him so that then we can share who he really is in a clear and accurate way with others. But it's always drawing us to himself first. That's why our life of worship and our time with God alone is so huge because you and I can't minister out of the fumes. We minister out of the overflow and serve out of that. That's why, you know, there's so much burnout in the church today because people aren't allowing themselves to be filled up in a personal relationship with God on a daily basis so that when it comes time for God to tap them to do something or calls them to do something that's part of them being his chosen, that they don't have the stuff to do it or to sustain it over a long period of time. Then if you go back to Acts 22, I love this. Ananias says in verse 16, and Paul, what are you waiting for? I think you and I need to hear that. What are we waiting for? We need to be doing what we've been chosen before our birth to do. We need to focus on knowing his will, seeing the righteous one, and hearing his commands that come from his mouth so that we can be used by him to make an impact in the world in which we live. What are we waiting for? We've got limited time on this earth to make a difference for Jesus Christ. What are we waiting for? Why are we not so many spectators? So few participants. So then he says, get up, be baptized, having your sins washed away, having called upon his name. And then I just touch on for a moment circumstances after conversion. Paul says, when I returned to Jerusalem, verse 17, and was praying, I fell in a trance. I saw the Lord saying to me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they'll not accept your testimony about me. I replied, Lord, 
They themselves know that I imprisoned and beat those in various synagogues who believed in you. When the blood of your witness Stephen was shed, I myself was standing nearby approving and guarding the clothes of those who were killing me. But God said, go. What's happening here? Well, the same thing that happens after our conversion. When God begins to tell us what he wants to do, many times we throw up objections or reservations about his will. Listen. All objections or reservations concerning the Lord's will are invalid for all of us. Why? Because we're chosen. Whatever God is asking us to do as his chosen, he's already designed us to do it before we were born. If we truly knew God and his plan and his purpose for us and how it worked, none of us would ever object or have reservations about the will of God. We would be surrendered to whatever God wants because we would understand, I'm chosen. It means that God designed me for this. God gave me what I needed for this even before I was born and had this plan and purpose in mind, which is why he designed me the way that he did. See, what Paul is learning and what you and I have to learn is that God is in and takes care of every detail. Whatever we throw up to God, like, well, God, it's not like, oh, you know what, Jeff? I didn't think about that. Or somehow, you know, we're going to throw up something to God that he hasn't thought of yet. No, no. See, again, chosen. God has thought it all through even before we were born. I know that sort of blows our minds, but that's our God. He should blow our minds. God has thought through this plan and purpose for us on earth even before we were born, in every detail. So then whatever God is asking of us, he already thought about that even before he brought us into the world. That's why he calls us to trust him. Because he's got us. Again, he's underneath of us, he's over us, he's beside us, he's in us, he's with us. He's got every detail covered. There is no reservations on our part or no objections that are ever going to be valid from God's perspective. Because he thought of it all ahead of time. When he thought of us ahead of time. And that's how much God loves you and values you. And that's because he, even before he brought any of us into this world, he had a plan and purpose for us. And he designed us according to that plan and purpose. You are the chosen of God. Don't ever Forget that, and let that be an encouragement to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the truth of your word. And God, when we think about the fact that we are chosen, that's, that's some big-time stuff. And that shows what a big God we have. What a great God we have. 
that God, before you ever created us and brought us into this world, you designed us, you designed us specifically, you designed us intentionally, you designed us in every detail so that whatever you would ask of us or call us to or lead us to do in our life as your child, as, as your sheep, that God, you had it all figured out ahead of time. And you just need us to trust you, God. I pray tonight that the truth of being the chosen would be something that would continually, Lord, encourage us and strengthen us as your people. But also, Lord, challenge us. Because, Lord, as your chosen ones, we need to get busy knowing your will. We need to continually see the righteous one before us. And we need to continually hear the commands from your mouth and submit and surrender to them so that we can be a powerful witness for you in this world. What are we waiting for, God? May we be busy about the master's business. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much.